0: You know, what is a warrior? It's like someone that has this ability, you know, to not shirk away from the stressors that are going to come inevitably, but to engage them willingly, even eagerly to be like to be present for the interactions that we have, that, that some of them are going to be stressful and uncomfortable. And we start uh, seeing, yeah, I actually want to have some of those experiences in my life because they're kind of the raw material for growing the relationships. But having the mindset and the, and the mental ability to do that takes time to develop.
1: Welcome to the Mindful Wealth Podcast. Stop financializing everything. What is true wealth? What's the right metric for success? Much of how we live presupposes that our incomes or spending is a good measuring stick. But can you really quantify success with a bank balance? Or should we include softer things like learning and love, generosity and gratitude, and happiness and well-being? Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the Mindful Wealth podcast. We have with us today Arno Ilger, who is the writer of The Rock Warrior's Way. Arno, in his book, refines a methodology that can help people train awareness and attention, get rid of power sinks, and tune into reality. He sits right on the lines between internal and external motivations. He's now writing a more general book called The Warrior's Way, and we're excited to talk to Arno today a little bit about what we as individuals can do and how we manage our mindset and how that kind of feeds into our concepts of true wealth. So, Arno, do you want to tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do?
0: Uh, Yes. Uh, I live in the U.S. in Tennessee, southeastern part, and I've been here most of my life, except for, you know, some, maybe a decade out West, uh, seeking my fortune. But uh, right now, uh, for the last uh, 25 years or so, I've been uh, teaching this mental training method that I developed for rock climbers called the Warrior's Way. Uh, And so it's been kind of a long journey, you know, to develop the material. And we have a network of trainers right now. Uh, and, you know, from the very beginning, Terry and Jonathan, it's like I knew that this material was valuable and helpful for people. And so even though I started in the climbing direction, at some point in the future, I knew that I wanted to bridge it to the non-climbing uh, arena and write a book to help people in, in in the general population. And that's where I am right now.
2: You, you write about... Uh... A, the methodology, but what is, what does warrior training look like? What, what, what is the process?
0: Yeah, it's a really important question because, um, I think there's something very specific around what it means to be a warrior, to really understand what that training will be. So, uh, our traditional warriors are our protectors of our society, you know? So right now it's our soldiers, Uh, even our first responders. And they are trained in a certain way to do their job, to be able to fulfill their responsibility, which is different than the way the rest of us are trained. So in other words, warriors are trained to move toward the threat, to engage it and do their best to neutralize it, to protect the rest of society. So that's a very specific, way of dealing with a threat or a stressor. And so the warrior's way, you know, for a training method, for what we can learn from, from that, from these traditional warriors is we can find a way to do that same thing in our lives. Like we have stressors in our lives also, and we can move toward those instead of, you know, shying away from it, which is, can be our tendency.
2: I, just just as context, because I think if, if folks have tuned in and listened to the last couple episodes, they know that we sometimes take a very big global macro view. And I like the fact that we're talking to you for a couple reasons. One, Terry and I both read uh, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which I think much of your work comes out of. Um, and we, I read it, I must have been 19 when I read it. So this is Oh, a long time ago, uh, <laughs> uh, but loved it. Loved it. It was meaningful to me, and it's one that I, it's a book I still have on my shelf. Um, but the idea of going deep on what an individual can do, and I think you just summed it up. You know, go towards the threat, go towards the difficulty, go towards the challenge instead of running away from it. Um, so, why is training awareness and attention so important? Why, why is that uh, a first key?
0: Uh, awareness is uh, the foundation for the training method you know, that we do. And, and I think it needs to be the foundation for uh, any kind of mental training method and, and even for how we live our lives. Like we need to be able to be more and more aware of our situation, what's going on inside of ourselves and also what's going on around us, like in the relationships. So having a methodology that helps us become ever more aware as we do our training, I think that's really important. Now, attention is, you might say, the intentional directing of awareness. So as we become more aware, uh, we can uh, have certain tasks that we need to do during the day. And we can intentionally focus on this task or that task. And by doing that, we're, we're going to be more effective in the actions that that task requires, right? So if we can improve our ability to become aware and then improve our ability to keep our attention focused on whatever the task is that, that we've chosen to do, then we're going to be more, more effective
2: yeah, I go ahead, Terry.
1: No, I was gonna say I think it's it's so interesting because we just actually recorded an episode with um, somebody who looks at the how the culture of Wall Street impacts um, you know the, the pressure to financialize things. And I think what's so interesting is that you know she really f- concluded the, the interview by talking about how important awareness is of the implications of what our little actions, how they sort of radiate out from what we do. And so I think it's, you know, anyways, I just like wanted to kind of riff off that and say that, like, I think it's a good point that awareness really is the at the, at the heart of things. Um, but I wonder if we could just kind of ask, we had a, an off-camera chat just previous to, uh, you know, the, the interview we had scheduled earlier, which was about the two kinds of motivations that human beings have. And I really liked the point that you said, you know, humans on the one hand seek comfort, but at the same time time, if we are to surpass our current limitations, we have to have a mechanism for getting out of our comfort zone. And I wonder if you could maybe say a few words about that.
0: Yes. Uh, there are two basic uh, motivations. One's more extrinsic, where we're motivated, you know, toward achieving something external to ourselves. Like, uh, in in climbing, it would be climbing a certain mountain. Uh, in uh, in life, it might be you know to have a certain amount of uh, wealth or you know a certain amount of money or to land a certain job. So uh, that's an extrinsic way of being motivated, you know, towards something outside of us. Intrinsic motivation comes from inside of us, like something that. Uh, that moves us through stressors that we actually want to be in. Like uh, we're, we're motivated to do that uh, activity for its own sake, not for the goal. So when we look at these two motivations uh, in the past, we can have a tendency to think we have to choose between them. Like, well, which one is more, important more helpful which one could be debilitating in reality they're both important and that's because the extrinsic motivation like the goals that we set they uh we pick them because they're inspiring you know and so if they're inspiring then we're going to be more willing to do the work you know as we're um, working our way toward them You know, so in other words, these uh, extrinsic motivators and goals, they give us a direction for our efforts. Uh, So when we start uh, moving that direction though, it's important to be intrinsically motivated. Like we want to do the work for its own sake and and enjoy it as much as possible. Uh, So the way, an important way that we can find balance between these Is knowing when we need to be motivated by which one. Okay, so extrinsic motivation we're thinking about something stressful, like a goal I want to accomplish. You know, I'm here, I'm going to need to go through some stress in order to be able to accomplish this important goal for myself. So when we're in our comfort zone, we can be thinking about those inspiring, stressful goals. Now, when we're engaged, working toward it, we need to shift motivation toward intrinsic motivation. You know, being willing to be in the stress, the struggle, the difficulties uh, for their own sake, the learning that uh, we draw from that. Uh, and along the way, we might stop and reflect on you know, that goal again to make sure we're we might need to do course corrections. But we, we just uh, need to know where we are. Are we sort of stopped and thinking about the goal or are we engaged and doing the work uh, for its own sake?
2: It's a nice balance. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, as you're talking, I'm 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 remembering a certain subset of the population who it's almost like they live automatically. Like they don't have intrinsic or extrinsic motivations. It's just... You know, I I grow up, I go to college, I get a job, I, you know, I get married, I have a kid, I have another kid, you know, I maybe get a promotion, but it's just, there's everything is very automated. We have like a, we have trends that we're part of, um, just based on our culture or what have you. Um, and it seems to me that, that something you're talking about, and I think the reason there's coaching around this and everything is for us to be happy, we have to know what, what our goals are so is there a step before intrinsic or extrinsic motivation where we try to establish that and we try to figure that out
0: yeah i think uh you know the step before is like i think pausing and uh, developing some awareness about why is my life the way it is right now And where do I want to take it? So it's going to take some time to reflect on where we've been, where we want to go. Uh, Like a simple example is like we look for our calling. Like, what are we called to do? What do we really want to do in how we're going to invest our time and effort? Uh, So to take time to pause and reflect on that, And, and it can. It can be uh, like a long process. Like it's, it's not something that, uh, oh, I'm going to stop for one hour and uh, be able to get all the answers. Uh, sometimes uh, it can take years even, but uh, we take time to reflect. Uh, we'll maybe get some ideas about what uh, that goal is that we want to do, the calling, uh, maybe engage that for a while, we, we stop again, you know, and say, well, you know, that's not quite what it was, and then uh, get some more ideas and engage again, but this whole process is like stopping, getting quiet, getting still, and kind of tuning in, like, and this is where, you know, of course, meditation is a perfect thing to do, where you can uh, quiet, uh, quiet the mind, quiet the body, and be more receptive to, you know, these subtle yearnings or urges of being called in certain directions. So I think that's uh, an important part, uh, for before we can like say, well, that's the end goal that I want to achieve, because, um, a lot of times we will set those end goals and, uh, you know, they, they take us in the, direction that's not where we ultimately want to go i mean the 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 typical metaphor is they say oh you're climbing the ladder but then when you get to the top you find it's uh, leaning up against the wrong wall yeah so
1: (laughs) yeah so your i guess your your answer to that would be increased stillness allows us to become mindful of some of the, in some cases, you know, social default settings that we're operating on?
0: Uh, yes. Like, uh, you know, I, I, <clears throat> everything that we have done, like in testing this material in climbing has really revealed a lot of important things about how mental training concepts integrate. And one of them is this comfort-based motivation. It's very natural. You know, so we are moved through the easiest way through stressors. That's just the way it is. And, and so we also have uh, an easy way to live life is to follow what other people are doing or what other people are telling us to do. Uh, so this kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier, Jonathan, it's like uh, we can just muddle along not knowing where we're going, uh, doing what we think we're supposed to do. uh, And it really takes time to say, no, you know, I need to do something tangible to interrupt this automatic response. Uh, And being able to figure out what where you truly want to go, you know, for goals, for your calling. Uh, then our comfort-based motivation is directed there. It's kind of like uh, where, let's say, our current life situation is here. Our goal is here, and there's, in in a sense, there's sort of a, a structural tension created between the two, kind of a gap that wants to be closed. You know, so we're, we follow the easiest way as we go through life, but we're going into a meaningful direction if we have those goals.
1: This strikes me as such a, like a climbing-based metaphor. I think it's really great. You know, you've got here and here, and I'm going to pick the easiest way through those difficulties. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to, you know, ask you something kind of about the ethics of this. Because I think also like in, in you know, previous conversations, we've talked a little bit about the, the utility of mindfulness practice. Or in this case, we could talk about the utility of um, you know, a methodology for surpassing ourselves or for going through difficulties in the surface of a goal. But it strikes me that we might run into ethical problems when we have this like awesome methodology but somehow it's it's kind of like, you know, a knife in a sense, because a knife can be used to cut things, a knife can be used to hurt people. But the fact that you have a really sharp knife, how do you know what to use it for? Like, how do you do that ethical check-in to say, I have this amazing methodology to do whatever I want, but if I put that in the service of something that's socially destructive, ultimately, I'm not doing it for the greater good.
0: Yeah, it's like um, we can... We can use our, we can get really skilled at using our attention and we can use it for destructive purposes, right? Um, well, uh, I think, it, first of all, it's important to have a mental training program that you commit to, you know, because we, uh, when we start digging into, you know, our, our own mind, our own psychology, uh, it, we start, first of all, being able to move in directions that are more meaningful to us, you know, our calling. Uh, and we come up against the limitations that uh, will reveal themselves that we can work with. And one of those limitations that kind of speaks to your question is, um, a truer reality is how the whole world is interconnected. Okay, so uh, when we're over here more like uh, ego focused, you know, or self focused, we're we're really living more in an illusion. It's like we can't do anything alone. You know, even with breathing, we need to cooperate with air, you know, or walking on the ground. We have to cooperate with the, the planet below our feet to have a conversation like we are right now. We have to have other people to talk with. Uh, we have to cooperate with uh, the technology in order to make it happen. You know, so as we do our mental training, uh, we kind of move on a continuum away from this sort of illusion of separateness to uh, a truer reality of our interconnectedness, and that in itself diminishes unethical behavior because we see more uh, of what our impact is going to be and how we're using our attention or actions that we take. And we actually start um, having two goals, uh, two general kinds of goals. One is more uh, a self-actualization goal that we can start with, like what vehicle do I want to go? What's my calling to actualize more of my full potential? Uh, But then we... Also, have this other general goal of transcendence. You know, to to serve others through the wisdom and the skills that we develop as we're going through this self-actualization process. And it's not like we do this and then we, all of a sudden we're ready to transcend and serve others. They they kind of parallel each other. Uh, and as as we go through the process of you know learning. Um, we're able to focus more on service to others, which uh, aligns with this more interconnected reality that we're a part of. And w- when we experience that, we feel more connected and it brings actually more meaning to our lives. Like we can think that oh, I'm, if I'm over here, you know, just focusing on what I want. That's going to bring me meaning, but true meaning usually comes through service to others
2: can I ask a, a like a like a timing a sequence a sequencing question can, can we get to this non ego driven other centric giving back without going through like the trans can we get to transcendence without first going through the self actualization uh
0: the quick answer is probably no. Uh, the longer answer is is that we we do it in fits and starts. You know, it's like uh, we don't just focus uh, twenty years. You know, to self actualize our potential, and then oh, we're ready now to you know serve others. Uh, we we learn something, and then even while we're learning, you know, we might be serving our family. You know, or serving others, you know, uh, but then, then, uh, it kind of, a cycle between them. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we're, we're sort of forced in the direction of transcendence, like through a traumatic event, you know, we, we can, you know, have a trauma, you know, uh, I mean, a simple example is, uh, mothers against drunk drivers, you know, it's like, you have a catastrophic event happen, you know, where you lose a, a child. And that uh, shifts your focus, your calling to something that you can create so you can uh, provide and serve, uh, serve the, the world, you know, to help other people, you know, either not experience that trauma or diminish uh, the number of people that would experience that kind of a trauma.
1: So if I hear you right, I think what you're suggesting is that, you know, this kind of process by which we apprentice ourselves to something, like let's say we set a stretch goal and then we know that like you current today, you cannot reach the stretch goal. And so in order to get there, you have to go through a kind of a a self-actualization process of which you can, you know, apply this methodology and that by applying this type of methodology to grow, you have no choice but to open yourself and connect and have a better relationship re- with reality, which then has its own ethical consequences. Is that kind of what you're suggesting?
0: You know, I, I guess. there. Yes, when, when we think about ethics, it's behavior that impacts other people, right? And so we're going to um, we're going to behave when we're focusing on just ourselves in certain ways, we're going to behave when we're interacting with other people, you know, and both can have impact on others, you know, even though we we might be doing things for ourselves, you know, it's, we're still impacting the world, you know, we're still impacting other people, whether we realize it or not.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think like this is one of the things that I, I, like, I remember from reading your book that I, I really loved is this business of, you know, you can't act effectively on a lie. You have to really be pay very close attention to the messages that reality is sending you because there's like an incredible amount of information in there. And I wonder if you could sort of maybe say a few words about the kind of relationship we want to cultivate with reality, because I, I found that was very strong in your in your book.
0: Yeah, it's like um, people say, like there's there's only one reality, but really we fa- we we fab- each fabricate our own reality based on our experiences and and how what we're perceiving is biased. Um, so one of the biggest shifts I think is important to make uh, in how we understand reality, so we can see it more clearly and not you know be sub. Uh, subjected to, you know, lies like, like you're saying is we can tend to see things in an either or situation, you know, either I'm right or, or I'm wrong, you know, and then when we, if we're in an argument like that, our ego will tend not to want to be wrong, you know, so we'll defend uh, ourselves being right instead of being willing to listen and you know solve the problem so i think an important shift out of either or is toward both ends like okay um both of us have we're here together we have a disagreement uh part of my understanding of the situation is true and probably some some lies in it and and similar for for you so let's uh, each of us, you know, speak and share, and then while well, the other one is listening, and then through that, both of us can solve this problem. Uh, so I think that's really one of the, the biggest things that we need to do as far as a mind shift is uh, moving toward more both and understanding of reality, because it it really does shift us in the direction of, this interconnected reality of the world where we can be part of something larger. Like when we have two people that have a disagreement, we have two different views. When they come together, they can actually create more than just two things. They can create a new realization that is broader and more accurate than what either individual had themselves. It's, when we're in relationship, a more accurate reality of how the world is.
1: Um, But I wonder, Arno, if, uh, you know, one of the the questions that we always ask on the podcast, because it's called the Mindful Wealth Podcast, we kind of have this discussion of what is true wealth? And we have the discussion, like maybe, you know, for in some respects, it ends up being financial because wealth has financial connotations. But if I was to ask you the question, what do you find? What does it mean to you tr- to be truly wealthy? What might you say to that?
0: Well, I think it's, uh, we can apply the both and uh, uh, understanding of reality to that also. It's like we, uh, in a general sense, the, the both and is like I both have an internal life or world, and I also have an external life and world. So we do have external wealth that's a reality and and we set goals to strive for that Uh, but uh, an internal wealth uh, is i think from a mental training perspective being able to be more mentally fit right so you know having uh, what I, i might call mental fitness health instead of like mental fitness illness so We've developed our minds, we've developed our, our abilities with our developing awareness, with the use of our attention, where we can direct our attention more purposefully, we're, meaning we're less reactive, which means what? It means we can be more calm in the midst of chaotic situations and have more peace in our life. You know, so that really uh, that's, that's a wealth money can't buy. Right. So, uh, but, you know, that's the whole goal for mental training is like, yeah, that's the kind of wealth, that's the kind of mindset I want to have, you know, throughout my day in how I'm interacting with these stressors. And it brings us back to, you know, what is a warrior? It's like someone that has disability, ability. You know, to not shirk away from the stressors that are going to come inevitably, but to engage them willingly, even eagerly to be like to be present for the interactions that we have uh, that that some of them are going to be stressful and uncomfortable. Uh, We start uh, seeing, yeah, I actually want to have some of those experiences in my life because they're kind of the raw material for growing the relationships. But having the mindset and the, and the mental ability to do that takes time to develop.
2: I just want to say thank you, Arno. I think that's a, I think that's a great closing uh, statement. And we're going to use that in some kind of show notes somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, so uh, thanks very much for being on.